You tell him! You tell him I'm coming! Tell him I'm f***ing coming! From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, welcome to Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. Today, Ben and I jump in the cage and go toe-to-toe with Warrior. Give us our top five Steven Soderbergh movies, but first... Ben, Steven Soderbergh is a favorite director of this program, not necessarily only because of the quality of his films, which is usually high, but because of his willingness to experiment with genre and form. You never know quite what you're going to get with a Soderbergh film, as the director is one of the great formal experimenters of his generation. This is a man who, just to see if he could cast a group of non-actors in a small-town murder mystery in Bubble and got great performances out of them. This is a man who turned a real-life tale of corporate intrigue into a successfully goofy comedy with The Informant. This is a man who tried to replicate old-style Hollywood filmmaking to such an extent that he even used cameras from the era in The Good German. Now, some of these experiments are more successful than others, but Soderbergh is never phoning anything in, not even with his more commercial works like the Oceans Trilogy. Which brings us to his latest film, Contagion, a star-studded popcorn thriller about the outbreak of a mysterious virus, which features, and I counted, three Best Actress winners, three Best Actor nominees, two Best Supporting Actor nominees, and Brian Cranston, who is an awards institution all upon himself for his work in the TV show Breaking Bad. A globe-spanning look at how scientists, government, and society respond in the face of a global pandemic, Contagion represents what might be Soderbergh's most ambitious work since 2000's Traffic, which featured an equally vast number of locations and characters. It's also a step towards, perhaps for the first time in Soderbergh's career, a touch of the horror genre, but incredibly realistic horror. The average person touches their face three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, and each other. Matt. No, no, I, I, go up to your room, honey. So we have a virus with no treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. You had a seizure this morning, Beth. Is she before? a history of seizures? No, no, no. Allergies? No. As of last night, there were 32 cases. Unfortunately, she did die. Right. Can I go talk to her? Mr. Amos, your wife is dead. What are you talking about? What happened to her? What happened to her? Is there any way someone could weaponize the bird flu? Is that what we're looking at? Someone doesn't have to weaponize the bird flu. The birds are doing that. Watch this. It's transmission. So we just need to know which direction. On day one, there were two people, and then four, and then 16. In three months, it's a billion. That's where we're headed. They're calling out the National Guard. They're moving the president underground. People will panic. Get away! It will tip over. The truth is being kept from the world. Cook your samples, destroy everything. So, Ben, how does Contagion stack up for you amongst all the other films of the Soderbergh filmography? In the upper echelon of the Soderbergh filmography. I love Contagion, man. And for me, you use the word popcorn thriller. And Soderbergh's not a guy who is going to jump out there and give you a dumb movie in the van of a lot of popcorn movies. He's going to make something very smart and very calculated. And that's exactly what you get with Contagion, and that's exactly what you would expect, too. But 
You said he branches out to the horror genre, and that excites me. Over, over the years, I've always wanted to see my favorite directors sort of spread themselves out across as many genres as possible. I want to see Quentin Tarantino make a Western. I want to see the Coen brothers make a screwball comedy, which they have. I want to see some directors make film noir. And I want to see a guy like Steven Soderbergh make a horror movie and other directors like him. And I think he does that more effectively than the best horror movie directors that we even have out there. I think he's made a better horror movie than a guy like... Guillermo del Toro. This guy is just a director. It doesn't matter what the genre is. It doesn't matter what the style is. He brings all sorts of styles to his movies as we've seen in stuff like Traffic and The Good German and the ones you've already mentioned before. But when my wife was with me at this movie late last night, when he can make a film as effective as Contagion where she is angry at me for the rest of the night and through the morning for making her see it, quote-unquote. <laughs> she leaves it, and she comes to me this morning and says, I'm still mad at you. There are still some images that I can't erase from my mind. And there are images in Contagion that you can't. There are such grisly images in Contagion that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep thinking about them even into when we're listing our top five horror movies of all time, probably later this fall. And I think Contagion stacks up with the best horror stuff and the best Soderbergh stuff. And it does take a cast like this one. You, I mean, it's full of prestige. Yeah. You can't just have anybody, I guess, delivering these lines that... Uh, it doesn't take just anybody to get in there and do it. Some unknown cast of characters like you might find in Bubble or some of other Steven Soderbergh's other work. These are professionals who are required to make a movie like Contagion. And under the direction of Soderbergh, it doesn't get any better for me. It's one of the best movies of the year. Man, I wish I could share your enthusiasm about I can't this. wait. I really do. I can't wait to hear what you have to say, like just in terms of how this movie doesn't work for you, because this seems right up your alley. It is. It is right up my alley. The thing is, I enjoyed the hell out of it watching it, and then I left and I said, I would be so much more into that if it were 12 episodes of a, of a season-long television show. It feels like a movie that was distilled down from a much longer work, and Accordingly, there are some subplots here, just from a structural standpoint, that don't get the attention that they deserve or seem to warrant. And there are subplots that sort of branch off into to nothing, but there are an equally great number of subplots. There are great performances here. It's just uneven for me. It's good, and I love the intent. I love the, the, the fact that Soderbergh never dumbs anything down. And this is presented, as far as I know, incredibly realistically. But, you know, the filmmaking is top-notch. I just, from a storytelling standpoint, there are so many, I don't know if I'd call them loose ends, but certainly ragged ends that this movie leaves that it doesn't seem to need to. There, there are just subplots here that just don't really work for me. Well, I think that the format you would prefer for this particular story is exactly where it would fail. I think that it needs to be compacted in, into a two-hour movie because I think those subplots are the kinds of things that ruin television. Well, okay, but the, the subplots don't do this movie any favors either. To get you know specific, I'll, I'll just I'll just point out the ones that don't really work for me. Obviously, and you probably saw this coming, Marion Cotillard's subplot. While I respect it intellectually, I see what they're trying to do with it. it not enough time is devoted to it to make it work. I don't really... The one lapse in realism in this movie, too, for me, came in Jude Law's subplot. Jude Law's very good as this crusading blogger, but the fact that he's a blogger that can somehow command 12 million people to, to 
you know, basically follow his agenda doesn't really ring true for me. If you were more of like a talk radio type person or, you know, a, a television pundit, that might be more believable for me. But a blogger, I, I, don't, I don't buy that. He's fine otherwise, and intellectually I see what they were going for, but I don't think that that storyline's really well executed. And then you've got three scenes with John Hawks that sort of bring, and I love John Hawks, but they sort of bring the one sort of false Hollywood note into this movie that it had otherwise pretty steadfastly avoided. Yeah, I kind of agree with you about John Hawks. It's kind of like, how can we work in this it character actor in the face of the success of Winter's Bone and other work he has coming out this fall? I kind of agree with you there. But in the end, I guess it kind of worked because it gave this movie the warm feeling that it needed I guess by the end of it, you don't want you don't want it to be too cold and clinical by the end. Otherwise, everybody would be leaving just well, hanging their head in despair. I'm okay with a bleak movie, you know. Yeah, and I'm okay with a bleak movie directed by Soderbergh, and he's given us plenty of those. But I mean, if you look at something like Traffic, maybe he was sort of trying to recreate, I guess, the warm feeling at the end of a bleak movie like Traffic here again in Contagion because and we'll get into this later because Traffic I mean in that film again you're fighting this disease this losing battle that can't be overcome and by the end of it you're given a feeling of hope right you're given a feeling that there are people out there and there are people doing things that they're going to continue to fight this fight I guess is what I'm saying here and again uh, it it is an incredibly cold and calculated movie just like this one Uh, and maybe they did sort of force that point home here in Contagion with the subplots like John Hawks. But if I were, is say there were like a filmmaker draft, like an NFL draft, but there was like a filmmaker draft. Yeah, yeah. Number one pick for me would be a guy like Soderbergh, probably. If I wanted a guy who could just do anything, right? You don't want a flash-in-the-pan talent who is good at one thing because that's not really going to take your franchise very far in the long run. You want a guy like, say, like a guy like Peyton Manning, right, who you can count on for the next decade plus and can do all sorts of little things and is very surgical in the way he does them. He has complete and total control of his offense. And in Soderbergh's case, he has complete and total control of his productions and he can do a variety of things for a long span of time. I don't think that there is a director as economical and someone who has been able to get as much out of what little he has in some cases as Soderbergh. And he has a lot here in the cast. And he has a very dense story that covers a lot of storylines and a lot of angles, again, which he's used to. And his fingerprints are just all over this. No, yeah, you're right. In every single shot. And by the end of this thing, really from the beginning to the end, and a lot of this is punctuated by, I think it's, is it Cliff Martinez? Yes. Who does the story? The the score is excellent. The score is up there for me with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score from the Social Network. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's very similar, too. But, I mean, this thing just pounds from beginning to end. And by the end, this little sequence that Soderbergh sort of gives us here to kind of suggest how this disease even got its start, I let out a fist pump, man. Like, I was pumped when I was leaving. It's kind of a good ending. Yeah, I, li- I like the ending. Well, for you, where, I mean, again, we're going to talk about this later, yeah. but where does this stack up for you in terms of Soderbergh's catalog? It sounds to me like it's not going to crack the top five. No, it won't. It's it's sort of a mid-level for me. It's something that I could probably see myself appreciating more upon repeat viewings. But for this, I mean, you're right. He is very economical in his filmmaking, which can be often be a benefit. I often wish, though, and particularly with this movie, he wasn't so economical with his storytelling which is where I think that this falls apart. I have to believe that there was more 
of the Marion Cotillard subplot that was shot but is not in this movie. Because she disappears for a while. She disappears for like 45 minutes. Yeah. And to an extent that when she reappeared, I was like, oh, yeah, she's here. But what else did we really need to know about the Cotillard subplot? I don't think we needed the Cotillard subplot at all. You do in this story need this is is the word here. I'm sorry if I mispronounced this. Uh, you know, I've only said it a few times in my life. But the, uh, an epidemiologist, yeah, is that right? This story needs that, and it needs this character who's able to sort of trace where this disease got started in the first place. That's the, I that's agree. the purpose that she serves. I here. agree. And if they if they had done that, which they did for a little while, and then it takes this turn that strikes me as kind of goofy and that's when she disappears from the movie right i mean i don't i don't i don't like that if she had been like detective marion cotillard you know the whole time i would have i would have been into that but the turn that the story takes doesn't work for me that's him with emhoff at 1208 i can show you the ukrainian woman on the security camera in the elevator going back to her room 20 minutes earlier she was gone before lefi started work it came from here. Emhoff is the indexed patient. We need to know everywhere she went before the casino. I want to see her itinerary again. They say the French and Americans have a cure. They're manufacturing it in secret. WHO knows, but they're in bed with the Americans. Who says? The internet. The internet, and you believe it? I don't know. It does for me because it, I don't know. I feel like she kind of bookends this movie in a way. She's, a, she, I, I think she's this very cold-blooded character, and I think she was actually on the Daily Show recently where she said that the people who actually do the job that she does, they have to be cold-blooded people right. to do that job, and she she does that. But I think when we see where she goes, when the the left turn, I guess she takes after she's doing her job overseas, and where. It sort of comes full circle. That worked for me. It totally did. Because I didn't need to know anything else. This is a disease that is hitting millions right. of people. This right. is a global disease. So obviously this story has to cover a lot of ground. And the main character here, it, there is no main character. We're working with an ensemble. The main character is the disease, right. right? And how it's affecting all of these people. And a lot of these stories realistically aren't going to have closure. And, no, you're right. But, I don't I don't expect closure. Well, it, but if you are going to introduce a storyline, you should, I, I guess, out of respect to the audience and respect to your story, you should provide some amount. Well, right? and, and all of these subplots, to, to Soderbergh's credit, do get some amount of closure. Uh, Marianne Cotillard's subplot, even though I find it extraneous, the, the last scene does suggest a turn in her character. I mean, again, I can intellectually see is, is pleasing, but I just don't, by that point, I didn't really care for the, the subplot. I don't know. I guess maybe it was just kind of the humanity in Cotillard's performance that worked for me she's, because she's you get good. you just yeah. get kind of one moment that tells you what her I guess purpose is after the fact sure. when we get the final twist right. in Contagion, which is a big one too and a very cold-hearted one on the part of the people who are administering what may or may not be these vaccines right. in this movie. But uh, again, maybe it was the performance, but the pace of Contagion is for me the the MVP of this. I mean, it just never stops. No, you're it gets right started about and it never stops. And you're a big horror movie fan, right? Yeah. Can you appreciate this as a great modern horror movie? Yeah, yeah, I can. I can. I can appreciate the parts of it that work for me. I mean, it's not giving too much away to 
mentioned that early in the movie, Gwyneth Paltrow's character, uh, who plays Matt Damon's wife, dies of the disease. That's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. Uh, if you didn't know that, you haven't seen a commercial for the movie. So, sorry. You know, it's you on the poster. You should, you should keep up, face should keep up the with these things, I yeah. guess. Uh, but that, what I was not expecting is that that happened within the first ten minutes of the movie. And then from there, it just doesn't let up. And the movie is, uh, I'll, I'll say, pretty ruthless, it turns out, about who gets this disease and who doesn't. One of my favorite performances in the movie, unfortunately, was stricken short by, by the movie and its ruthlessness in a scene that I did not expect at all. But that's what a horror movie yeah, should I be. Know, I know. It should be ruthless. Yeah. And it and it is and it works. It works big time. I think that that sort of I guess very ground level personal ruthlessness was sacrificed as the movie went on to depict more global concerns and societal concerns, things like uh, rioting, you know, which Matt Damon's character, you know, experiences firsthand. The you know the sort of semi collapse of society as people hole up in their homes, uh, except for those who would mug them and rob them, and you know, just the just the struggle to get food to eat is depicted very frighteningly. But yeah, you know, Matt Damon is as close to a grounded like identifiable character as this movie comes and uh and he pulls it off really excellently he totally does and i, I just kind of love how soderbergh really like a great horror director knows how to play with his audience and yeah. completely toy with us like I'll, all i'll say is the autopsy scene yeah unbelievable yeah. i did not see that coming at no, all i didn't either especially with the actor i guess uh the one you've already mentioned here who has met her early doom or uh, you know, as this uh, disease is hitting the United States and the rest of the world, th- this this face that we're all so accustomed to and is uh, so beautiful, uh, seen by so many people. What he does with this face and with this person is pretty, pretty rough—it's gruesome, but it's fantastic and it, it has a place in this film. But uh, again, like I said, I love it. It's one of it's one of my favorite of the year so far. I think down the road when you go back and watch this movie, Corey, because you're a guy who appreciates multiple viewings, and you know we'll go back something that he might not have liked before and appreciated on down the road i think this is one of those i i I, it's not that i dislike it i find it an absolutely respectable effort but it's it's flaws i just can't ignore them it's a good movie you know and i wouldn't for a second try to talk anybody out of seeing it i just can't share ben's enthusiasm i wish i could though i mean i love steven soderbergh I mean, he is the sort of director who I could make a top five, so you know, Soderbergh movies out of because of his, of just the high regard I hold for his output. But for me, this just didn't click with me as upper echelon Soderbergh in a way that I that I wanted it to. Oh, and how about Peter Andrews though, man? Yeah, on his game, he outdid himself on his game. Yeah, and Cliff Martinez again. I can't say enough about the score. Fantastic, one and of the best scores of the year. Did you catch Soderbergh's cameo? No, I didn't. He's in the movie. All I'll say is he's on the phone. He's on the other end of a phone in the opening scene of the movie. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was fantastic. Oh, was really? Way. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. See? These uh, things, cool. you're going to realize cool. these things, and you're going to realize how wrong you were today. But yeah, the film well, is we'll now see. the film is now playing nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. Coming up, I make Corey tap out <laughs> as we jump into the octagon with Gavin O'Connor's Warrior. Now, I show you a trick how to get some speed in them legs. You have to wear that stinking sweatshirt. Well, it brings me luck, you know. You know what it brings? It brings flies. 
Welcome back to Alabama's only movie podcast, Aspect Radio, with Corey Craft in beautiful Tuscaloosa. I'm Ben Flanagan, and joining us in studio here today, our producer, Andrew Richardson. Hey, guys. And Bobby Bozeman, an entertainment columnist for the Aniston Star. Welcome, Bobby. Hey, thanks, Ben. Now, Corey, I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I've seen a mainstream sports movie that has given me enough goosebumps to get out of my seat and actually cheer. And what better setting than the gritty, working-class state of Pennsylvania to tell the story of an underdog who beats the odds? In fact, we get two underdogs in Gavin O'Connor's mixed martial arts drama, Warrior. There's this big tournament. Top 16 middleweights in the world. And when it takes all, I'm going to need a trainer. Not that much you were good at. Frank, I need this. I got a family to protect. Everything I do is for them. What's going on up here? Daddy is now a princess. Mom needed you. I needed you. You're my big brother. You bailed on me. I was a 16-year-old kid. What the hell did I know? You had a choice, okay? You had a choice. Imports Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton star as brothers Tommy and Brendan, respectively. One, a brooding Marine with a mysterious background and mysterious motives for fighting. The other, a down-on-his-luck schoolteacher who has no choice but to enter the octagon or else his house is foreclosed. The brothers haven't spoken in years since some family troubles split the house right down the middle with their drunk father, Patty, played here by Nick Nolte as grizzled as ever, further alienating the two of them. When they learn about a 16-man MMA tournament with a $5 million cash purse, the two hit the gym and train for the event and what inevitably we know will happen here in O'Connor's appropriately familiar story. But Corey... Even though Warrior carries the trappings of a handful of sports movies that you and I and everyone have seen throughout the years, this movie isn't really about what happens in the ring, at least from an MMA standpoint. In a tournament where the majority of spectators are looking to find out who the toughest man on the planet is, Bitter Brothers Tommy and Brendan's quest for clarity certainly goes way beyond that. So, Corey, did you scoff at the movie cliches and consider this one one of those expensive pay-per-view busts that's over in the first round? Or did you see past those cliches and let O'Connor's family drama deliver the knockout blow? Well, first of all, I don't really know anything about MMA. I'm not an MMA guy. You know, I've never seen like one of the pay-per-views or shows or whatever. Back in my day, when I was a when I was a child, it was all about some professional wrestling, and it's it's kind of funny because one of those professional wrestlers plays a role in Warrior, Kurt Angle. But I don't, I don't really know anything about MMA. But, you know, a, a good sports movie doesn't necessarily require you to be a fan of the sport to enjoy it. I'm not a boxing fan either, but there are some great boxing movies that I think we can all agree are really, really good. Last year we had The Fighter. You know, we have the Rocky movies. And, uh, and you know, Warrior... I'm pleased to say, turned out to be one of those 
surprisingly great sports movies for me. I like what you said about the brothers uh, having a quest for clarity that goes beyond the MMA tournament because I think that that the, the family drama here and the character building really make this movie special. It's not about the punching and kicking so much as it is these people uh, and their father trying well trying to avoid reconnecting with one another and then finding it uh, in some ways inevitable. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's very likable. It really is. It, it, it's hard. And I'm a fan of Gavin O'Connor's other movie, Miracle. I thought it was Miracle's just a, awesome. Yeah, it was just a textbook way to make a great sports movie, to take a true story and do something to where we could relive it and enjoy it. Because everybody knew that story and everybody knew how powerful it was to begin with. So how do you make it even more exciting? I'll tell you how. How? Kurt Russell. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, this is our time. But no, to take an original story like Warrior, which again is very familiar to a lot of people. There are Angry Brothers movies. There are underdog stories. Obviously, people are drawing back to Rocky here, which is the easy thing to do because this is another Pennsylvania set yeah. boxing movie essentially, uh, but we're using MMA here and I'm not a fan either, but somehow Gavin O'Connor and this impeccable cast here, they're fantastic. They managed to make me and obviously you and maybe these guys here too care about a story that revolves around MMA because I'm not a fan. I think it's pretty boring, frankly. And again, I'm not a huge boxing fan either, but it turns out that boxing movies are usually the best sports movies. They really are. If you look at things like Rocky, Raging Bull, and even something like Cinderella Man, they just bring high drama to the medium. And I think that Warrior falls in line with the rest of those too. We knew what was coming, yet it still worked. And that's just the mark of a good storyteller here. And he has guys like Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton and Nick Nolte to help him do that. And those are luxuries for him to have, too, especially for a project as mainstream and just sort of obvious as this one, I guess. And it just makes me feel so good to have Nick Nolte back and acting again because I think he gives a great performance along with his two boys here. I'm going to call it. He's going to get an Oscar nomination. You think he will? I think he will. I hope so. I, I think, left saying he should. I think Nick Nolte is in because he's Nick Nolte. He's been due, and everybody wants him back, and I think that this performance is too good to ignore. Now, I think that Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy are also too good to ignore, but they will be ignored just because of the sort of movie this is, particularly Tom Hardy, though. He's amazing in this movie. But, I mean, this is the sort of movie that would have been incredibly hokey, if it hadn't been handled with such care by the actors and then by Gavin O'Connor's steadfast refusal to play it all up, to dial it up to 11, so to speak, with the melodrama. Because, I mean, obviously, you've got some pretty, I don't want to say hackneyed, but they're pretty familiar setups here. Story goes to some familiar places, but, you know, and the trailer even reveals where the story goes. I think, I think that anybody who has ever seen a movie can figure out where this movie goes. But the point is, the character work is handled so well, and you have so much empathy for all three of these people that in the end it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it, it matters that you, you just want to see everything work out for everyone involved even if it's not possible. And that just builds so much tension going into the ending of this movie uh, that, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just a really excellently handled climax. Yeah, and a lot of people say that there are 
major problems uh, that this story has just in terms of how familiar we are with them and they overuse a lot of the cliches that we've seen in past movies but I think that the reason we feel that way about these cliches is because of how poorly used they were in previous movies because I think films like this and stories like this they might be familiar with us just because they're so simple but I mean if you look back at Greek tragedy in the the plays of Shakespeare they're very simple stories it's right. just how you tell them if you look back last year to something like the social network it's about friendship and betrayal and loyalty and money and things like that. And those are very simple things that anybody could write a story about. But again, it's how you tell that story. If you've got guys like Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher there to repackage it and deliver it to us, that's something. I'm not saying this is on the level of I was about to say, the social network. Ben Flanagan says Warrior is as good as the social network. But I think it's a great movie, yeah. like the social network is. And I think that this is something that everyone can enjoy. And again... Gavin O'Connor chooses to tell the story in a different way from how previous films that might have been a little bit cornier did, and I think he does it very effectively. But let's bring Bobby and Andrew into into the discussion here. I don't know how you guys feel about this movie as just a, a pool full of cliches, or, I mean, if you look at it any differently, how does this stack up for either sports movies or just movies that you've seen in 2011 so far? Oh, I mean, in terms of in terms of sports movies, it's it's still... To me, I, I said last night, this is one of the best sports movies I've ever seen. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily an MMA fan. I don't think I've ever even watched it on television. But I have been to a few like local events and sat on the front row right against the cage. And it's intense. And I think the, the film does a really good job, even though there's not... I mean, there's, there's, there's a... There's a decent amount of like actual combat in the movie, but it's really there's not a ton of it. But when it's there, it's really, really, really well done. I think I think it, it's shot very well, and it and the choreography is is so great. It looks really impressive. The moves that they pull off, and I mean, if you actually go to a real fight, I will say that most guys are not fighting like this. Most guys are just punching at each other and not landing punches like that. And, but you do see, I, I will say, and I was I was telling Corey this last night that uh, Corey and Bobby that. Almost every MMA fight in in real life doesn't doesn't end like with a points at the end. Like almost always, somebody is tapping out, somebody's getting knocked unconscious, uh, or losing in some way. It's not usually a points battle, and you see that in the movie. That's actually very realistic. But uh, aside from the fighting, I mean, as you guys kind of said, this is not a movie about the fighting or about. MMA really it's really about the characters and MMA is just sort of the backdrop and I think that's what makes it that's what makes it so good is that you care about the characters and you care about the relationship with each other and I, I just I really like this movie I, I've almost wanted to like stand up and cheer after every fight especially at the at the tournament at the end it, it just really it really affected me in a way that I didn't really think it would even though I thought I would like this movie I didn't think that I would be gritting my teeth the entire time just waiting for this battle what do you think, Bobby? I went in. Uh, I actually really didn't expect to like it. I kind of expected to dislike it, just from the trailer and everything I've seen. And so, going in, kind of very skeptical. I think it's a big strength of the movie that it still pulled me in and made me really like it by the end. I'm sure if I saw it again without being so skeptical uh, and kind of sitting cross-armed in my seat for the first 30 minutes, I'd probably even like it more. But it, it, and it was a real strength. I mean, there's so much intensity. There's so much drama, so much tension, like y'all were talking about, between the brothers. And, and not, like, you don't know who's going to win at the end, and you don't even, like Corey said last night, you don't even know who you want to win between the two brothers. And so I thought it was really interesting and a, just a really well-done movie, uh, tension-wise. I mean, obviously there are some 
you know, sloppy areas story-wise uh, with certain subplots and stuff. But the main meat of the movie I thought was really well done, really well handled. Especially, like, he also had the acting and everything. But Yeah, and if Gavin O'Connor has a job to do here, it's to force us to cheer for both of these guys, yeah. right? Because, I mean, going into it, we're probably wondering who we're going to pick because, I mean, we all know that they're going to face each other in the final battle there. But for me, it was kind of painful to watch because I didn't want—I didn't even want to see these guys fight. You know, they had to air out their differences. And they started that in a scene where they're on the beach sort of yelling at each other and talking yeah. about uh, the problems that they have. And that's, you know, a battle into itself. But once they get into the ring, I'm just kind of like, you know what? Beating the crap out of each other is not going to—it's not going to help you guys. But, yeah, maybe it will help relieve a lot of the stress and a lot of the uh, tension between the two of them and— I guess they had to do what they had to do, but yeah, going into the final fight there, I didn't know who to cheer for. I didn't. I didn't. I wanted them both to win. I, I didn't want either of them to lose. I, I was saying last night that it might have a, a bit to do. Uh, I, I found myself cheering for the. I'll, I'll say the married brother. I won't go. I won't give any more away than that. But um, simply because of like I was, I felt like I was more in that same life position. I could definitely see you cheering for the other person as well. I mean, they both have a really great character background, and it, it, it's really hard to choose which one. I mean, you want them both to win, and you kind of hope that there's going to be some way that they can both win. But you know, there's not. Yeah, they're both fighting for a noble cause, right? Yeah. So it's whoever wins, you're going to be fine with, but you're going to feel sorry for the guy who loses. You know, the last shot of the movie, sort of sums everything up so nicely i think don't want to get too much into that obviously but it implies i if not a uh, conclusively happy ending at least a hopeful future which i thought was was really nice it's a really nice moment to end the movie on it's really it's an it's a moment that ends a movie and sends audiences out really satisfied and really happy you know, it's it's just a really good movie. It, if you had said to me a couple weeks ago that I would have enjoyed the MMA fighting movie more than the Soderbergh pandemic movie, I don't even know what I would have said to you. But that's that's what ended up happening. I'm afraid, not because Warriors not you know really great on its own terms, as as we've already said. And it it leaves you feeling satisfied uh, without going into some kind of sloppy fan service at the end. That's just sort of uh, unnecessary resolution. Denouement. I was kind of yeah. uh, you. You were dreading the and then this happened. Yeah, and then you know, the last. Minute. This person was happy because the, of this happened, and yeah, right. I mean, you you just you have enough to end on. I, you know, last night I kind of uh, wanted a little bit more. No, um, you're wrong. But after sleeping on it and thinking about it. Uh, I kind of decided I mean, it was best the way it ended. It's a really great ending. Yeah. It is a great ending, but I think that there was a little bit to be desired there from the Nick Nolte perspective. Nah. Right? I, th- I think that they, they have the, there's one big scene with Nick Nolte and, and Tom Hardy is involved too, and I yeah. think that totally works. It affected me, and I thought that it did provide the right amount of closure for at least one character between Nick Nolte and another character. But I think that between the three of them, between the brothers and Nick Nolte, there there needed to be something else, just sort of an added layer of depth there where they all finally sort of came to terms and, and, and said, okay, we're, we're all the same. I kind of I wanted a third I'll, character. I'll, I kind of wanted a third character in right, that last shot. Right. Well, okay. I don't see, see, I don't know how to justify this without spoiling everything so much as to say that you get enough of Nick Nolte to, at the end, to sort of imply that he's reached some sort of acceptance, and even if he can't be involved 
they're in a good place. He's still proud of his sons, yeah. at the yeah. very least. But yeah. I, I will say that I, I liked I liked that there wasn't as much resolution there because uh, to me it was realistic in that sometimes a screwed up childhood just can't be fixed. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not beating the hell out of him. They're beating the hell out of each other, and and then the ending becomes more about their relationship with one another than their relationship with him, which seems to be maybe in the future it could be repaired, but at least during the film it seems to be irrevocably damaged. So I I don't want that tied up in a in a bow. Yeah, that's true. I I totally agree with you. But if if any movie can tie it up in a bow, it's it's this kind of movie. Right. But where this movie might succeed is that it doesn't fall into some of the cliches that its predecessors did. But still, I think that Nolte is as much a part of this story as the two brothers. No, are. you're right. And I think that he he sort of falls by the wayside there towards the end of the movie and again you do get these acknowledgements from each of the brothers right that do sort of close out those stories mm-hmm. and they're satisfying enough but for me i just wanted a little bit more just because you like him so much i did and again yeah. yeah like i said it's great to have nick nolte back right yeah. the guy's back he's he's doing what he does best and this is what i would call a great nick nolte performance i agree it's I good think, to have I that anybody would disagree with that he's he's terrific and and i think that the disappointing weekend box office for this movie aside you can expect to hear nick nolte's name called come time for nominations for whatever you may uh, may think he'd be nominated for i i think he's going to oscars I hope so. I hope you're right. But I hope the uh, early September release date doesn't hurt him too much. No, not too much. Well, the film is now playing nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. We'll take another quick break. But up next, Ben and I will switch gears back to Steven Soderbergh and share our top five favorite films from the director. My list, spoiler alert, will not contain contagion. Stay with us. This is Aspect Radio. One joke. I'm going to tell you a joke, okay? All right. Why a hurricane named after woman? I don't know. Because when they arrive, they're wet and wild. When they leave, they take your house and your car. <laughs> it's true. We're back here to give you our top five Steven Soderbergh movies in honor of the director's latest release, Contagion, which we just reviewed. So, Corey, Soderbergh himself has publicly suggested that he has plans to retire from filmmaking after he finishes a handful of projects, which, given Soderbergh's trademark efficiency, won't take long at all. In this news, even if it pans out, and there are some reports hinting that it definitely will not, it's discouraging for big Soderbergh fans like you and me. So, as he supposedly winds down his filmmaking career... Let's look through his track record and choose our top five favorites. And we really don't need any specific criteria for this list. So start us off with your number five. My number five is Steven Soderbergh's brutally efficient hitman thriller from 1999 starring Terrence Stamp, The Limey. Uh, Probably one of his most formally audacious yet still mainstream accessible movies featuring Terrence Stamp as Wilson, who has come to find his daughter. Or what, what is the line when he is on the plane? My name is Wilson. My name's Wilson. You wrote me about my oh, daughter. That's right. Yeah, see, so that's, that's you know, that's it. I love the limey, man. Yeah. And it, it didn't make my list, uh, surprisingly. Yeah. This is probably my toughest omission, but I, you know, I blogged about this recently. Yeah. That this is, uh, this has one of the best trailers ever. Yeah. Uh, with the Who song, The Seeker, and I remember I remember the trailer almost more than the movie, but when I finally saw the movie, there were so many stylistic 
little things in this movie that I'd never seen before. And I, I feel like this is sort of innovative from an editing and a photography standpoint. Certainly. And uh, Soderbergh, this is just him doing work. Also, it has one of the most badass suggested action scenes ever with the, uh, with the garage shot. That's all I'll give you because it's so cool. It really is. Yeah, this movie is just totally cool. It's just kind yeah. of a throwback to just great movies and in the late yet, 60s. not Soderbergh's coolest movie. Oh, we'll sure. perhaps we'll hear there. about that. Yeah, but Terrence Stamp really is great. Deserves better work than Yes Man. Give him more limeys. Yeah, for reals. Yeah, but... And also, I'll just throw this out there, and it probably should have made the list, but there's just... Peter Fonda's introduction scene in this movie yeah. is so cool with the Holly song, King Midas in reverse. It's just such an awesome sequence. You get these images from later in the movie that you'll see. This movie's so disjointed in a way that just feels so comfortable. But my number five is Out of Sight. And I saw Out of Sight in theaters back, was it 98 when it came out? 1998. And I'm pretty sure it sort of introduced me to Soderbergh specifically, even though I had heard of his previous movies. You'd, like, you'd heard of Sex Lies and Videotape. Absolutely. And, because, yeah. you know, I would be in the video store with my dad and, you know, I'd see it up there and I'd say, can I get that? No. <laughs> um, but this, for me, this is just what a good, smart piece of R-rated entertainment should be. And it gave Soderbergh this comeback of sorts after a slightly ignored stretch during his career. And it had also reintroduced him to the mainstream after working with an A-list cast and it afforded him opportunities to do the best work he'd ever do years down the road. We might hear more about Out of Sight. Okay, well, let's roll into your number four. Number four, probably the movie that he made that pissed the most people off. There are actually a bunch of possibilities for that, but uh, at least among film aficionados, the idea that Steven Soderbergh would dare touch Andrei Tarkovsky's Solaris must have been mind-blowing at the time, and uh, the result was mind-blowing to mainstream audiences in a bad way, who resoundingly rejected the film most film purists did too but i still think that this very hypnotic very measured emotional sci-fi story from soderbergh is among his very best i totally agree and i think i've told the story of solaris and my family before on the air where my brother wanted to buy advance tickets he felt (laughs) like that was necessary back when this came out right and it was totally unnecessary the only people in the theater other than us it was a elderly couple and it was a gentleman referring to the ice cream that he had earlier, and that's why he didn't want popcorn. I saw it opening day. There were five people in the theater besides myself and my cousin, and by the end of it, three of them had walked out. Yeah, it's fantastic. Solaris, it really is an interesting collaboration between Soderbergh and James Cameron, too, and some interesting special effects, but some top-notch acting from Clooney and Jeremy Davies. Natasha McElhone. Yeah, and Viola Davis, so highly recommended. Okay, my number four, this is a major cheat here. And I'm going to wander outside of our preferred medium just once. But for the sake of the discussion of Soderbergh's directing career, I think I would regret omitting this cold, calculated, and just brilliant HBO political series, K Street, about lobbyists in Washington, D.C. It stars these political heavyweights, James Carville and Mary Madeline, as themselves. Hmm. Along with John Slattery and Mary McCormick, they're also in it. They, they play these lobbyists whose personal issues manage to sort of infect their often secretive political influence here in uh, what, for me, is some of Soderbergh's best work to date. It's really a shame that this show was canceled. 
it doesn't surprise me. Once you see it, you'll know. But as long as I have these 10 episodes on DVD forever, I'll be okay. And he directed all 10 of the episodes. No kidding. Too. Yeah, highly recommend it. I'll yeah. let you borrow it okay. if you've never seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. But let's move on to your number three. Number three, uh, if I had to choose one film from the Oceans trilogy, it would be... Of course, the one that nobody likes, Ocean's 12 from 2004. By far my favorite of these movies because it's the most fun. Just the most, everybody on screen's having a good time. I had a good time. The movie jumps back and forth in chronology. It has some interesting filmmaking, some terrific (laughs) editing, and it's just funny as hell. And I know that people prefer the other two, but Ocean's 12 is is a movie that feels like it was made for my enjoyment specifically. Yeah, and as our uh, producer, Andrew, is shaking his head here in the other part of the room, I'm going to agree with you, Corey. I love Ocean's 12. I love the entire franchise, frankly. No, they're they're three really great movies. And and honestly, when I saw saw Ocean's 12 a couple of times in the theater, and I couldn't really believe he was doing what he was doing because this is a franchise that has established itself with the mainstream and uh, a lot of people are going to go see it and he's just pulling out these tricks that people will not respond to it's it's i mean the movie is summed up just with vincent cassell's hilariously awesome laser dance (laughs) through the uh through the security system because that's just, I mean, why not? Well, you got the laser dance. You've got the Julia Roberts inside it's joke. It's so and, funny. And you have a lot of uh, self-referential moments just between the 11 guys, too. And they're really the real-life selves. You have Clooney jokes about Clooney and Brad Pitt jokes about Brad Pitt. And you have da- Damon quoting Cashmere to Robbie Coltrane because he thinks it's a, uh, it's a, I don't know. Oh, let the sun beat down upon my face stars to fill my dreams i am a traveler in both time and space to be where i have been i don't it's just <laughs> it's no it it works look i mean this is a great example of what i guess you could consider soderberghian humor just yeah. this absurdist ridiculousness that you see in a lot of his movies especially this trilogy and a lot of it followed in oceans 13 Though he did revert back to, I guess, the style of the first film right, with that. Right. But no, it's a great series, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. My number three, maybe I'm a little too quick to pull the trigger on this one, but my gut reaction here is that Contagion is one of Soderbergh's best movies. I dare say you are a little too quick to pull the trigger. I th- I think you're a little slow to, Corey, because, you know, again, later on down the road, you're going you're gonna to say, Ben, you know what? You're right. It should have been my number one. And it's always rare when I'm just glued to a screen from beginning to end with a movie. There are always lulls or moments where I find myself sort of out of an experience, right, where I can kind of check my watch sometimes. But here I was completely on edge the entire time, and that's thanks to Soderbergh's steady surgical hand. And he's in total control of every single frame and every single second here. I mean, I I caught myself touching my face during this movie, you know, freaking out. The fact that I I was counting how many times I was doing it per minute, right? And it's just like... It's really, for me, this movie is just like watching a master put on a clinic. And in Soderbergh's case, it just seems like he's doing it for fun. This just seems like he could do... This is the movie he could make in a couple of weekends, you know? And with ease, honestly. But Contagion, my number three. Man. Well. <sighs> Don't double take, Corey. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I just, you know, I just wish... Because I love him so much, and I just wish that I could have felt the way you do about You will. This. You will. You're number we'll, two. We'll see. My number two, I'd hate to maybe steal some thunder here because i have a feeling i know where this is going to be on your list but it is uh his 2000 masterpiece traffic which is the 
massive ensemble globe spanning film of his that I do unabashedly adore. Look at the War on Drugs with uh, an Oscar-winning performance from Benicio Del Toro. And this is, of course, the movie that won Soderbergh his Best Director Oscar. If you haven't seen it, just see it. Just see it. I don't even need to tell you anything about it. Just see it. Well, my number two is Ocean's Eleven. Like A Christmas Story, Dazed and Confused, or The Shawshank Redemption, I think this is just one of these movies for our generation where you can just sort of pick up wherever the story is and just watch it until it's over. I mean, if it's 10 seconds into the movie and I just flip to it on HBO or something, I'm going to watch all two hours of it. I can't help it. And it's really probably Soderbergh's most polished product to date. I mean, it just looks great, sounds great, music flies, the pace is great, and he's just got this A-list cast. And to me, this is its just one of the most entertaining heist movies you'll find out there. It's a project with a lot of stars that could go terribly wrong, which might happen this year with something like Tower Heist, right? Yeah, if it's we'll in, see. It's in the less capable hands, obviously. But Soderbergh is the guy out there who can take this many characters, this many storylines and angles, and make it all work seamlessly. And again, the sequels are fantastic. But for me, this is one that I would consider modern classic Hollywood cinema. I really would. It has brains, and it has something for everyone. You're 30 seconds late. I was about to send out a search. Hello, Tess. What are you doing here? I'm out. You're out? I'm prison. You remember the day that I went for cigarettes and didn't come back? You must have noticed. I don't smoke. Don't sit. Now, they tell me that I paid my debt to society. Funny, I never got a check. You're not wearing your ring. I sold it. I don't have a husband, or didn't you get the papers? My last day inside. I told you I'd write. It's a good pick. So you're number one. Very good movie. Can you guess what my number one is? Well, I'm sure you're going to go hipster here and pick something, one of his experimental movies, unless you're going back to 1989 for the can winner. No. No. You've actually already mentioned it. Oh, really? It's 1998's Out of Sight. Wow. Sorry I stole your thunder with my my number five. My favorite Steven Soderbergh movie. Probably the Ocean's movies are really fun, but I I think that Out of Sight is his most fun movie, combining with, you know, the great source material from Elmore Leonard, awesome script from Scott Frank. You know, you've got Clooney. Before he was, you know, really like a megawatt superstar, just charming the pants off of everybody jennifer lopez before she was annoying doing really good work and then a supporting cast that just blows the damn doors off so to speak albert brooks don Cheadle, steve zahn all do great work here michael keaton reprising his jackie brown role how can you dislike that Catherine keener you know this is just a, this is just a great just a fun movie it also features one of the and you know this may seem contradictory but most hilarious sudden deaths in film history if you laugh about that sort of thing i think you will and out of sight stay right there don't move maurice i got foley maurice oh yeah, I, I totally agree. A lot of great supporting performances. It really is a, a lot of fun. And this is one movie where if somebody was looking for something at the video store or just if they were looking for something on Netflix, I guess we should say these days, and, and they just said, what should I watch? And if they'd never seen Out of Sight, I would just recommend Out of Sight. Anybody would like it's it. It's got something for everybody. It really does. Getting to my number one here, Corey, again, yeah, you've mentioned it and you referenced it here when you talked about it. Traffic. 
I believe it's important that we work together. Mexico and the United States, one hand washing the other. We agree. So maybe you can tell me about your informants in our operations. Well, we thought that maybe you'd have that kind of information for us. This is a very different proposition, my friend. We pay for that kind of information. Is that what you're talking about, Javier? Getting paid? You like baseball? Claro. We need ice for the parks, so kids can play at night. So it's safe. So they can play baseball. So they don't become burros para los balones. Everybody likes baseball. Everybody likes parks. Listen. I believe it's important that the United States take an interest in Tijuana now. That's what I'm talking about, my friends. Not that we give much credence to the Academy and the recognition that it doles out these days, but thank goodness Soderbergh won Best Director for this. Uh, this is what I would consider his masterpiece. I keep going back to the word cold with Soderbergh. A lot of his movies are, and again, they're, they're bleak to some extent, but this is a very thoughtful movie just on this frustrating losing battle that we face with the war against drugs. And again, he's weaving multiple storylines. That's the Soderbergh specialty, obviously. And one thing about his style is, and while there are definitely flourishes, especially in a lot of his post-traffic work, he always knows when to just let the story get the spotlight. He really does, and never better than, I think, what we see here with some of his best characters ever, including you know Don Cheadle's DEA agent, Michael Douglas's drug czar, Dennis Quaid's sort of smarmy fixer, Clifton Collins Jr.'s cryptic hitman, Frankie Flowers, and probably most importantly, Benicio Del Toro's reluctant police officer, who really knows that in this battle, no matter what connections you might have or what good you try to do, good really will never prevail in this war and while the film has a bleak outlook on the surface there are moments at the end of this movie that sort of reassure us that there are definitely things worth fighting this battle over and there are people who won't stop fighting it there's just a fantastic moment with the Cheadle character at the end of this that just exhilarated me so yeah traffic it's well put number one I guess the rest of his filmography could just be considered honorable mentions here because there's not really one that i can refer to and say you know what i didn't like that soderbergh movie oh i can other than contagion no i like contagion i don't like i just legitimately don't like don't say full, full, full frontal. frontal see i knew you were yeah, gonna say full, full frontal. frontal see i thought that, that uh, might be your number one i the, thought you'd the pull good that german one i don't like the good german i didn't really get into the good german i didn't yeah. really get into it and one i haven't seen i haven't seen kafka I don't think anybody's seen Kafka. I don't think it's available on DVD. Yeah, and one thing I'll recommend from Soderbergh, too, if you haven't seen the experimental stuff, Bubble is great. The The Girlfriend Girlfriend Experience experience is fantastic. And one we didn't even talk about, and I've seen on HBO a few times since it came out, The Informant is so good. That's an honorable mention of mine. That's probably my number six, actually. It is so good, and it just gets better every time. That movie is so layered. It's ridiculous. It's a great movie. And the fact that, again, I hate to keep going back to the Oscars, but the fact that Damon just got the snub that year. Marvin Hamlish got the snub. He did. I think they both did. I think it might be Damon's best performance, frankly. But 
good stuff. Soderbergh's the man, and it's a shame that this guy is supposedly choosing uh, to opt out of this fantastic career that he's had. At least for a little while. Corey, before we wind down here, is there anything worth our time or money this week on DVD? Actually, yes. The movie Hannah from director Joe Wright is now on Blu-ray and DVD. One of my favorite movies of the year, probably one of the most effective action movies of the year. Saoirse Ronan stars as a pre-adolescent hit woman trained specially by her CIA agent father to seek revenge on his former uh, CIA handler played by Kate Blanchett. This one sort of travels the globe in a very trippy, I don't know, a lot of scenes are sort of like acid trip craziness with a great score from the Chemical Brothers uh, and some really terrifically choreographed action sequences. I love Hannah. It is definitely worth seeing. Also, if you haven't seen it yet, the first of the summer blockbusters has now hit Blu-ray and DVD with X-Men First Class, a movie that I think is a lot better than I expected it to be. Even if it's, it's not quite where it should be and it ends too tidily, unfortunately, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, and I, I wish that the thing I took away from that movie was not how bad Kevin Bacon was in that movie. Kevin Bacon's awesome in that movie. His opening scene is totally awesome. I agree with He's that. He's so awesome no, throughout that movie. What are you talking didn't, about? Didn't work for me. No, you're didn't wrong. Oh, me. my God, you're so wrong. <laughs> He's so awesome in that movie. <laughs> He's so bad. God, no, Ben, you're no. killing me. No. Pretty bad, but is that it on DVD? That's it on DVD. Next week's a big week, though. Okay, well, opening nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16 this week, Contagion, directed by Steven Soderbergh and Warrior with Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton, and Nick Nolte, and I reluctantly mentioned Bucky Larson, born to be a star with Nick Swartzen. Three stars. You went and saw it? No, I'm kidding. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> it's believable that I. Yeah, it really it, is. It? Yeah, it really yeah. is. Well, well, not yet. Maybe, maybe next week. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, the Bama Art House film series will continue on Tuesday night with Mike Mills Beginners with Christopher Plummer, Ewan McGregor, and Melanie Laurent at 7:30 p.m. at the Bama Theater in downtown Tuscaloosa. Have you seen this yet? I haven't seen it. I'm going to go to this. Excellent. Well, good pick from the Bama Art House. Yeah, looking forward to it. You can email any of your feedback to aspectradioshow at gmail.com. Note the new email address. Find us at twitter.com slash aspectradio or facebook.com slash aspectradio. You can download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. By now, you should know Tumblr is spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook and check us out on al.com. Just scroll down the homepage to find us the entertainment section on Monday or search Aspect Radio. And you can read Corey's DVD column in Tusk Magazine every Friday in the Tuscaloosa News. Be sure to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where you'll soon find our fall movie preview, where we, the film nerds, each share our top five most anticipated for the rest of 2011, so check that out. I'd also like to mention briefly, September 16th issue of Tusk will also feature a fall movie preview from yours truly. So if you're in the Tuscaloosa area, pick that up. It's going to be good. Absolutely. And we'd like to thank, again, our new producer, Andrew Richardson. for Roll Tide. Our, it was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, it was. Our new recording space here and equipment. We appreciate it. And you're definitely going to learn more about him as the weeks go by. But we appreciate your time and help. And Bobby Bozeman for sitting in here with us from the Aniston Star. It was a nice surprise to have you. Yes, Thanks a lot. No problem. Thanks. Well, until next week, I am Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. Put your uh, adult cap on now, Corey. Adult. Hold on.
I'm not wearing my hat today. If you want to borrow Bobby's. <laughs> that is very adult. Very adult. It'd be, it'd be nice if he gave you his beard, too, but... You know, I work with what I can genetically. All right. Are we good? 